Online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstampor as he continues our latest sermon series, Can You Hear Me? Learning How Prayer Works. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Have you ever seen any of these chainsaw sculpture artists? These people are absolutely incredible. They look at a log and see within it something else. They begin the work of reshaping it into what they know it can be. To an onlooker, it doesn't make any sense until it's far along in the process, and the log surely doesn't get it, until it begins to take shape. Our walk with God is similar in that we don't know what He has planned for us. Unfortunately, we tend to spend time fighting this work because we think we know better. We understand He has a plan, but we don't want to submit to it. The good news is we aren't the first to feel this way. Pastor Michael will continue in Jacob's life this week with a great example of this. Look for the ways Jacob's interaction with God changes him. How does contending with the sculptor work out for Jacob? Let's listen in together as we learn from Genesis 32 that our struggle for satisfaction is one in our surrender to God's reshaping. Church. Good morning, church. Felt like I needed to say it again for the microphone. That's weird. Um, do you guys have sillies this morning? <laughs> no, I did. I do now. I, what's funny is when we're kids, we've got sillies and we got to shake them out so we can have serious moments. I feel like as adults, we have seriouses and we got to shake out our seriouses and so we can get a little bit silly. Um, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, get your serious out. But we are going to have a conversation this morning. Um, and I need to apologize up front. If you'll, if you'll forgive me, I need to give you an apology up front. We're going to cover a lot of material, and I'm going to skip over a lot of details that are really cool. It's amazing to see what God does in Jacob's life, but I just don't have time. I only gave myself four weeks for this series and immediately realized that four weeks is just not enough time to talk about prayer. But the details of what happens in Jacob's life are absolutely astounding. Um, so this morning, we're going to skip some time in Jacob's story and pick up at another time where God met him. Do we remember last week? I think most of us were here last week, and we remember Jacob um, went camping, went on a camping trip, right? And he laid down, and he had a rock for a pillow, and God showed up and said, hey, 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 I'm doing stuff, and I want you to be a part of it. You remember that? Uh-huh. All right. If you don't nod or something, I'm going to make you get your seriouses out. <clears throat> so we remember all of that. He, um, he steals his inheritance, or he steals his birthright, this, this promise that when his father dies, that he'll get all of the inheritance. So he steals that from his older brother, and he's on the lamb, he's on the run, and he's running around, and he's trying to solve his problem. And God shows up and says, hey, 
you're trying to deal with all this stuff here on earth, all the things that you can see. You're trying to manipulate circumstances and you're trying to manipulate people to get what you want. But there's a spiritual realm that affects what's happening in the real world. And that was his big revelation. And that was the time when he started to follow God, right? But do we remember what his prayer was at that point? What was his commitment to God? All right, I'll read it. <clears throat> it was Genesis chapter 28, if I remember correctly. And in uh, verse 20, then Jacob made a vow. He made a promise saying, if God will be with me, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So he gives this, he realizes, okay, God is real, but his commitment level to God is like, all right, let's see what you got. I'm, I'm in the middle of a crisis. Let me see what you got. You know, if you take care of me, God, then, then I'll follow you. But you're going to have to take care of me. You know what's crazy? God does in incredible ways. And this is the problem that I don't have time to tell you. He goes on to his uncle's house. He goes on to Uncle Laban. And everything that Jacob does, God blesses. He literally walks across to Laban's house, and all he's got is a stick. He had a rock at one point, but he left that at Bethel. But he's got a stick, and he walks into, into Laban's house, and every job that he does goes his way. The, the goats are, like, really, really breeding, and it's, it's just some crazy, crazy stuff. And he works seven years for a wife, and it doesn't work out. Because what Jacob, the trickster, didn't know was that oily little Jacob was walking into the snake king's pit. Like, Jacob was tricky, he tricked his brother out of his inheritance, and every time he turned around, Jacob's trying to pull something, but he hadn't met Laban yet. Like, Laban was some serious business, and I, I wish we could go into it. I'm not going to, but, but he worked seven years. Jacob worked seven years to get Laban's daughter to marry him, and Laban swaps wives on him on the wedding night. And so he ends up marrying the wrong girl, wrong girl, the girl that he didn't want. And Laban's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll give you the other one too, but you're going to have to work seven more years. So he's just, you know, Jacob thought he knew how to pull a trick. He had not met Laban yet. And it goes on and on. And God continues to bless him, continues to give him all of this wealth and continues to give him all this favor. And God is just taking care of him crazily, providing kids for him. And kids is really a future, if you think about it, for, for people who, who raise sheep, who live in tents. Like, what do they have when they die? There's not going to be a house or anything. So when they have children, that really is their future. This is, this is going to continue on after me. So he not only has, he ends up with two wives, two concubines, which are technically, we would consider them wives, but there's a different legal system in that day, and I don't really want to get into all of it. But ends up with essentially four wives and 11 sons and two daughters that we know about. But he's got a bunch of kids. And life's going really, really good. But he's starting to realize, hey, you know, this Laban guy, it's only a matter of time before he realizes how much God's blessing me and really tries to, to pull the rug out from underneath me. And so God tells him to leave, and so he leaves. And that's where we are. That's where we're going to start reading in our story this morning. Are you interested yet? Yes. Okay, so let's read together. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32, and that's on page 22 if you want to use a story Bible. We've got a couple around here. I think most of you guys got one. 
Um, 32, Genesis chapter 32 on page 22. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. All right, let me pause there. So Jacob has left Laban's house, which was a big ordeal. It literally took a whole chapter to describe him escaping from Laban. Um, and, and Jacob's on his way, leaving the house, and he's going home. He's going back to his old house. He wants to see dad and hang out with mom. You know, Esau's there too, but you know, whatever. We're going home because I got all this wealth. God has blessed me richly. I want to walk with God. And so as he's going on his way, what happens? We just read it. There's only two verses. I can't have lost you already. No, that's not on. Some angels show up. Right? He's, what was his vision the first time? The last time we were together, what was his vision? That there's a staircase and angels were going up and down. It's, 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 it's essentially the same thing in a different place. And God is showing him that heaven and earth are connected. And it wasn't just at Bethel. Like God is not just the God of Bethel, the place where you saw the ladder. Like these connections happen everywhere. Right? He's going on his way. He's headed home. You know, I'm sure there's some anxiety there. But he's heading home and he's realizing, oh, wait. God's not just the God of Bethel. He's got other places too. And he, what does he name the place? He says, Mahanaim. And y'all don't speak Hebrew, do you? If you're using a story Bible, there's a little footnote number three. And if you go down to the bottom of the page, it says Mahanaim means two camps. Right? So he said he, he had, had an encounter with God at Bethel. And now he's seeing this encounter with God. The angel's showing up again. And he's like, oh, God's got two houses. Imagine that. But it's not over. <clears throat> I wonder, let me, let me pause. I wonder how it might change us if we saw all of the ways and all of the places that God was working. We've got, we've got some highlights in our life of places where we know God showed up, but I wonder what it would be like if we could see the different avenues that God is working, not just our Bethel, not just our Mahanaim, the two camps, but all the different ways that heaven and earth were connected. Let's continue reading. In verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, hey, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Let's pause. <laughs> what happened with Esau? What was the last time that Jacob saw Esau? When he cheated him out of his inheritance, the, and he was on the run. Remember who Esau is? Because Jacob's this kind of oily cat. He's, 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 he's wiry, and he kind of, he's, he's just lanky. And who's, what is, how, do they, how does the text describe Esau? He's a hunter. He's a big dog. He might not even have a neck. Esau. Right? So 
Jacob's on his way home. God has met him again, and he sends this messenger, you know, to kind of, hey, Esau, I'm coming through, coming home, you know. And uh, messengers come back and say, hey, we, we talked to Esau. Like, great, how'd things go? Like, well, he's going to come meet you. And he's got 400 men with him. <laughs> the, notice that there was a change of an attitude, though. When he talks, when he sends this out, he says, hey, Esau, my Lord, your servant is coming. And I've got some stuff, but I'm your servant, right? But the outcome of Esau's, Esau's response isn't certain. All he knows is that the last time we talked, I had just stolen from you, and it's been some time, and now you're coming to meet me, but you got a little posse with you, right? The clock is ticking, and so he acts immediately. He's got some, look here in verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, wouldn't you be? <clears throat> he divided the people who were with him and the, hawks, the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's, he's got this crisis going on, and he just deals with the immediate circumstances. I can't control all of this, but I see that there's a threat here, and so I'm going to divide things up, and I'm just going to, like, this is what we need to do. He takes immediate action when a crisis shows up. Sometimes there are situations where, where something happens, and we're like, I don't know what I ought to do about this. Jacob sees a crisis, he takes immediate action. There's prudence, there's wisdom in that. But what are the things that you need to take action with or deal with immediately? What are the things that you know are a problem that need to be addressed right now? And you're just kind of like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, if you had an army coming at you, I imagine that you'd take some precautions, right? But there are things in our lives that we say, you know, I know that this is a threat. You know, that preacher guy tells me this is a sin, but you know, I can probably deal with it. I can play with this a little bit longer. What are the things that you need to take action with immediately? Now, let's read in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children." But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered as a magnitude. Let me pause, because this is a great prayer. He's in this crisis moment, and he realizes, God, everything that I have came from you anyway. I'm just trying to do what you told me to do. You told me that you'd take care of me. You told me that you'd keep me safe. You told me that I'd get the promises of grandpa, and that means a lot of land, and that means a lot of kids, and now if all my kids get killed, then you haven't kept your word. Do we know God's word well enough to come back to God with it and say, I thought you were going to do this. Because when we come to these crises, we realize that everything we have came from God to begin with. I just came across the river with a stick. That's all I had. 
And now I've got servants, and I've got sheep, and I've got oxen, and I've got kids. All this stuff came from your hand, God. And if you don't protect it, I don't know how it's going to happen. This is a great prayer. Because we know that every conversation with God, every talk with God starts on his end. And when we get into crisis moments, we realize not only does every conversation with God start with him, but every blessing that we enjoy comes from him too. And if he doesn't take care of us, then we don't have anywhere else to turn. It's a great, great prayer. Do you ever feel like you're being punished for doing the right thing? Because Jacob was in a situation, and it wasn't great, and he knew that Laban, it was only a matter of time before Laban came back and took everything. And he knew that God was going to bless him, and he knew that God wanted him in this homeland, this specific, I want you in a specific place. And so he's acting on what God told him. He acted on what he knew God wanted him to do. And now it feels like I'm getting ready to get wiped out for doing what I thought you wanted me to do. This doesn't make sense. Does it ever feel like you're trying to do the right thing in a situation and it just keeps coming back at you and getting blown up in your face? Like, God, I'm trying to do good. I want to make you happy. Why isn't this working out the way that if I do good, I ought to get good is how we think. That's not how the Bible thinks, though. We live in a system that rejects God But I want to encourage you, don't mistake the path of least resistance for God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life won't necessarily be the easiest path to walk. And for me, I don't know know about you, but if I get into a situation and there's an easy way forward, that's the way I want to take. But let me encourage you, do not confuse the path of least resistance with God's purpose for your life. There are times where doing the right thing will be the harder thing to do, and that's what God wants you to do. But I'm not sure that Jacob gets it yet because of what he does next. Let's read it together. In verse 13, so he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, and he lists off this present. So what he does He's staying where he's at, he's divided the camps, and now he starts to pull out some sheep and some goats and some servants, and he divides them up into three different waves, essentially, three different groups. And he takes this, this, this gift, quote unquote, I'm not sure if this is a gift or if this is a bribe, I don't know how to describe it, but he, he takes what he has and he, and he reorganizes it and he starts sending them out in waves. He sends three waves and he says to the first group, hey, take all these camels and all these goats and go to Esau and when you meet him and he's like, who are you and what are you doing? Tell him, hey, I come from Jacob and I'm a gift and I'm a gift to you from your servant Jacob. Like you Esau, my Lord, and your servant Jacob giving you a gift. One, You run into another flock of camels. What are you guys doing here? Oh, well, we're a gift. We're a gift for you, Esau. Okay, I got those guys there. They just came. And then third, there's another wave of a gift. I feel like Jacob is like, okay, God, I've prayed to you. I know all this thing. But hey, what if I take, you've given me so much, God, I'm going to just take some of this stuff and I'm just going to to give a gift. I'm going to give a bribe. I'm going to try and calm Esau down before I have to go and face him. And hopefully, 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 dear God, please, this will work. It's not clear in the text that this 
comes from a good place. There's almost a conflict here, like, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to take care of me, but then I'm also, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my plan B over here on the side. There's a conflict in Jacob. What are the things in your life that you're striving violently to just make it work, but you haven't turned it over to God completely? You're not, you haven't turned to God and said, hey, this thing, and it's a thing, and I feel conflicted about it, but I'm going to try and take care of it, but I know you came, like, you, all the blessings come from you, but I'm, I'm, I can also do something here on my end, like, but you haven't turned it over. Like, hey, God, this is all you and what you want to do. What are the things that you're striving violently to just make it work, but you haven't turned to God with them? Let's read in verse 22. He sends the present out, and then in verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, um, which is just like the place where the river is. He's crossing the river, the Jabbok River. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and on the sinew of the thigh. So he's camping the night, and he sends everybody over. And he sends his wives, and he sends his children, and he sends everything that he owns. And it's just him on the other side of the river, alone. He's trusting God with everything that he has. He's trusting him with all of his livelihood. It doesn't even say that he kept his stick with him. He sent his wives over. He sent his kids over. God, you have everything. All that I own, God, is on the other side of the river. There's nothing between Esau and everything that I own. But I still can't give you myself. There's this idea that we have that, God, if I just sacrifice enough for you, then you'll be happy with it. There's this idea that that we can give God everything, and that's what he wants. He's not looking for all your stuff. He's not looking for all your hopes and your dreams. He's looking for you. 
and he doesn't get it until he's alone. And this is real hard, guys. This is so, so hard because we are never alone today, are we? We've got these computers in our pockets that they're constantly binging and binging and binging and binging. And even when they're not binging, like our head is now wired to want to check what's going on in case I miss something. And then when we're quiet, you know, we've got to put some music on. Even if we'll make it some soothing music. So our, our world is filled with noise. I get it. Like, I'm, I'm just as guilty of this. But when Jacob is alone and he's quiet, that's when God shows up. And what does God do in this tender moment with Jacob? He kicks his butt. (laughs) Do you realize that there are situations where you will come to God and you will plead with God, God, why won't you answer me? I've given you everything. I've done everything that I can think of. I've, I've given you all the plans that I have. I've given you all my hopes. I've given you all my dreams. God, what do you want? And God will come in and punch you in the face. Jacob is, is, is just at his wit's end, and God comes in, and he doesn't come in with grace. He comes in with authority and power and says, you're not done yet, and puts his face in the dirt. We, we, we serve a God who is loving and who is kind, and because of his love for us, he will put you in your place. I want to tell you that up front in case you haven't had that experience yet. <laughs> I wish that there were a way that I could save you from it, but I also know that there's something in our hearts that we each have to go through it. And when that day comes, when that dark night comes on you, I hope that you'll remember Jacob and the wrestling that he went through, because it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And you see what God had to do with him? Like, he, like he's wrestling with God, <laughs> and he just won't give up, and so God has to like pull a dirty move, he hits him in the hip, and his hip pops out of joint, and he still won't give up, no, God, he's just wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. Hey, it's morning time, it's time to stop, give up, no, 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 we've been at this all night, I'm not giving you in. What's your name? Trickster? No. No, that's not your name anymore. We're concerned about God overcoming our circumstances and God giving us victory in the things that we can see. And God is concerned about identifying us personally with himself. I don't have a clear way to say this, that God isn't concerned about your circumstances. He's concerned about whose you are. God uses the circumstance, like I was telling with, talking with the kids, God uses our circumstances to draw us to a place where we can deal honestly with God. Jacob could have easily, before all of this was going on, just said, no, God, like we had the rock, I put the oil on it, and then, then we did it again, we had two camps, remember, God? Like, we're good, God, we're good. And he's like, no, you're not surrendered to me. You're doing all the right stuff, but your heart isn't here with me, abiding with me, and that's what God's after. You see, our struggle for satisfaction is won by surrender to God's reshaping. Our struggle for satisfaction, we want, we want satisfaction, we want life to be easy, we want things to work out our way, but our struggle for satisfaction is won when we surrender to God's reshaping. 
When we say, you know, I want to deal with all of these problems. I want to deal with the Esau coming with the 400 men. Like, that seems like something I should take care of, God. This is a little bit of a crisis. And he's saying, but your heart, like, it's time to deal with that. The morning's here. Time's up. What are you going to do? Our struggle for satisfaction is won by surrender to God's reshaping. Now, if you're critical, you go, well, was this like an actual guy? Like, were they really like wrestling around in the sand? Was this a physical fight? And I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know that it's clear from the text. But I know that when you get into these situations, these struggles where you're wrestling with God, it's a spiritual fight, but I can guarantee you it has physical manifestations. I've seen people, and you can see it on their face, who are fighting and wrestling with God, and they just look ill. Remember, there's a ladder between heaven and earth. The spiritual world affects what's going on in the physical world. And some of the things that we're struggling against, some of the sicknesses that we might be feeling because we're wrestling with God. I just want you to be aware that that's the case. And this renaming idea, Jacob gets a new name. It takes a while, as you read on in the story, it takes a while before anybody calls him Israel. They still call him Jacob. God sets him apart and gives him a new name before anybody else is on board with that. And he's going around renaming everything. <laughs> he's like, you get a new name, and you get a new name, and it goes on and on and on. It's really interesting. We're not going to get another apology. We're not going to get to see what happens next. This is a cliffhanger for you. I hope it will drive you to remember. But this thing, what, I want you to see the rock. Remember the pillar, the pillow last week? There was a rock. Well, now Jacob literally limps across the river. For the rest of his life, he's got a limp in his hip. I suspect that's painful. And can you imagine this trickster who connived, connived and worked his way around and tricked his brother and was just ran out of town. He comes to Esau, and he's got a limp. For the rest of his life. And that becomes a cultural marker for Israel, too, because they carry on the tradition. If they're eating an animal, they don't eat that hip socket. I don't know if they remembered why, judging by the rest of their history and how they did things. Like, I don't think they understood why they did that, but that's what they did. So he walks across the river and goes into the next step, the next journey. But I want to zero in upon, you know, what does the prayer look like? See, he comes at God with his fists up, like, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this. And at the end of it, he's got his hands up and surrender. I give up. It took a lot of work to get him there. And there's times where we will hold on and grasp on to something with our fists clenched, like, God, you've given me all these blessings. I'm just going to keep them for myself. I've got to take care of these things. And God, even before he gets him to surrender, gets him to a place where he's generous. I'll take, God, you take care of these things. You gave them to me. 
And there's times where your arms are crossed, like, I don't want anything to do with anybody. Like, I'm just concerned about myself, and I just want to deal with my own issues, and I don't want to care about anybody else. And say, all right, God, you've given me people to take care of. I'll take care of them. Our satisfaction, or our struggle for satisfaction is won by surrender to God's reshaping. So here's a couple of questions, and we've already looked at all of them. Could God be doing more in your life than you see right now? Could that spiritual world and the things that are kind of going on behind the scenes, could that actually be affecting what's happening in your day-to-day life? What issue do you need to act on immediately? When the crisis comes, there's some things you just need to deal with. I know this is, and I need to deal with it now. What difficulty is causing you to question God's direction for your life, the path of least resistance? This morning, will you choose to trust him with that struggle, that difficulty? Will you seek God for his direction on the things you're trying to just make it work? God, I can solve this. I got this. I mean, I know it came from you, but you can talk yourself into anything. How are your hands positioned this morning? You got your fists up, ready to fight? You say, no, God, these are my blessings. I'm going to keep these blessings. You know, I don't want to do with anything. So as we go now to a time of response and a time of worship, again, um, you know, I'm going to leave these questions up so that as we do the reflection time, you've got things to think about. I encourage you to write down what God is doing this morning. Share that with us so we can pray with you through the week. Um, reach out and follow up and connect. That's what we're all about. It's what God wants to do this morning. And if God's doing something in you, then talk to me about it or talk to Ryan. Like, this, you, I don't want to start preaching again. We're done. But we'll take some time and reflect and let God do his work. I pray that you would listen well to him. Let's pray together. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.